Hey, and welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I am so glad you are hanging out with me today. And today is a little bit different. I'm excited to share a podcast episode from an interview I did on someone else's podcast. And it's a really raw and real conversation about overcoming our physical and emotional identities. And we talked through some different stories, some places that I struggled throughout my earlier years in life. Um, I think we touched a little bit on the depression story, on my eating disorder, just on really wanting to fit in and be like the world and how I learned to overcome that, how I learned to find my identity in Christ alone and to not worry about what others thought or, you know, um, just really not worrying about my confidence and my self-image and things being wrapped up in the world, but really seeing that they came through Christ alone. So this interview was with my friend Thad Riley and super exciting. He's actually running for governor of New Hampshire this year. So he has a lot on his plate, but Super fun. He's a stay-at-home dad. He's been that since July of 2015. He's married with six kids. Three of them are with him and his wife full-time. And he is an advanced-level indoor cycling instructor. And he lost 150 pounds on his weight loss journey. So that's we talked a little bit about that when I had him on my podcast, along with why it's important for us to get involved in the school board and in our kids' education. And that was a really fun episode. So I will link that for you too, if you want to get on and hear a little bit more about that. Um, but something really special is that uh, Melanie, his wife, was the first girl he kissed. And after 22 years of a break, they found each other and fell for each other again. And they both love Jesus and they love each other. And I'm excited to share this interview with you. Hey mama, welcome to Red Hot Mindset. Do you want to find yourself again outside of motherhood and clarify your God-given goals? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering how to find simple systems to keep you on track? Do you wake up with big ambitious goals only to feel guilty prioritizing your interests over others' needs? Hey, I'm Gabe. I too was a busy working mom who lost herself to motherhood. I sacrificed my own dreams to take care of my kids. I was pulled in a thousand directions with too many to-dos piling up. I desperately wanted to find a way to create simple systems so I could create a work-life balance and be present for my family. I wished I could enjoy interests of my own outside of motherhood, but I kept telling myself I didn't have what it takes others would judge me and that me time was selfish until I found out a little secret. My kids need me to be their example and they need to see me win. Yours do too. In this podcast, you will discover how to clarify your goals, how to plan with purpose and how to ditch your distractions and simplify your home so you can find yourself again and turn your passions into purpose. In order to have a red hot mindset, we need to be willing to step into the fire of refinement so God can mold us into women ready to crush our goals his way. I've learned to use my interest in running to enhance my productivity and spiritual growth. I believe that life is one massive marathon and it's up to you to run your own race and to finish it well. Lace up those running shoes and step into the fire with me because I know you will come out stronger. We're going to be talking a little bit with my friend Gabe about idols today. 
And that's right. I said idols. So, so, you know, if you weren't sure, if you were staying with us, you are now staying with us. Cause that is just the best type of subject. I think that we could talk about in 2021 in our world today. So uh, my first question, you know, we always do this at the start is um, what is Gabe, what is one thing people might assume about idols that isn't true? The biggest thing I think people would assume is that they're non-living things. They're just little statues or big statues that people worship. Um, and that's really the form of it, you know? Wow. Wow. So non-living things, they think they're these little statues, things from maybe the Bible or things they've seen in a movie, in an Indiana Jones movie, but they, they can be living things, living things integrated into us. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey. Let's, let's start off with this. Talk to us a little bit about an idol that you've experienced in your life, one that you saw and one that you had to deal with personally. I know, I know I've had mine and I know everybody listening and you should probably sit down and maybe take a minute and start thinking about yours and maybe jot some notes down as we go. But could you share that a little bit with us today, Gabe? Yeah. So I actually went on a journey of trying to understand what an idol was and and really reflecting on what's in my life that might be an idol. And really, um, I said that I always think of it as a little statue. I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh yeah, people who worship idols, they're worshiping an idol that is supposed to represent their God. But really what an idol is, is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. And that really could be anything. And for me, one of the struggles that I had and a lot of women have is appearance. Um, and not just physical appearance. It's appearance of how am I, how how I look physically, right? Um, that we have that struggle is real. Um, how do I look to others? What will others think? And really, um, the the idol of of how am I appearing to others? And that was one of the the early on, probably in high school, when I started struggling with the body image and, and um, how I look, because I, I probably I kind of was a little bit more geeky come, you know, middle school into high school, I didn't, I, we, we all are, because we're all trying to figure out who we are. And, um, and, and you see this persona of who you're supposed to be in magazines or through the popular kids and all that. And all I really wanted was to be a part of that exclusive club, right? I wanted to be popular. I wanted people to look at me and say, she's so pretty or, you know, all, all of that, that goes along with um, that self-image. And I got really wrapped up in it. And, and granted, I did end up becoming um, kind of one of the popular ones, or at least I ran with the crowd and I started liking what I was looking, looking like. And I started, um, you know, but I focused so much on that more than, um, who I was in Christ. And I feel like when it comes to appearance, um, what we really should be focusing on is who God made us to be and who we are in him, because he made us perfectly in our mother's wombs and he made us the way we are for a reason uh, they may he made our hair color our eye color our skin color how much we weigh um you know all our genetics um how short we are i mean i, I was i'm short so i always just wanted to be five five but that never happened but um you know and and he yeah. made us the way we are for a reason and we needed to i I learned that I needed to dive into that and understand that for myself rather than try to be who I thought I was supposed to be. 
when I was a freshman in high school, there was a door I would open to walk into the school building off of the bus. And I remember my hand, I can still remember my hand reaching, pulling this door open. And the first thing I saw was the senior hallway mm-hmm. where my doom lived. My doom was like being annihilated by these group of senior guys. And I remember that. Do you, do you remember like how you felt in the hallway where these moments where you just saw the group or you like you had to catch your breath almost like you're like, okay, here we go. Did you have that? And maybe you could share like, I don't know. I have like intense, weird memories sometimes that, that have formulated who I am. And I just remember that anxiety or this, this in my stomach, this feeling. So. Yeah. I remember that too. I felt like I was in a sea of, I don't know, just a, a crowd, right? I was just one in a crowd um, and honestly, in our high school, we had 3,600 people, I believe, at least by the time I graduated wow. in our high school. So it literally was, um, you were just standing there next to each other, trying to walk in the halls. And, um, and I actually came from m- multiples of different schools. I say it's kind of funny because I've lived, I lived in one house my whole life, but I was in five different districts in school because I started in a couple different private schools. I went to a charter and then I finally went into public. And, um, and so I always kind of felt like almost, it's not, not quite alone, but just a misfit because I didn't, I didn't grow up with all of them. I didn't know anyone. So I always had to come meet new people. So when I got into the halls in high school, I was terrified because I'm this, um, I wouldn't call myself shy. I'm actually a really outgoing person, but before you get to know me, I'm reserved. So I kind of take it all in and I, I'm not the one that shouldn't go right up to people and, and make friends or I wasn't at the time. And, um, and that, that was really hard because you're just going, what am I doing here? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So my, my heart is connected to this conversation because of my 16 year old daughter Mm -hmm. who is started school two, three days, three days ago. And I was at the school and my daughter is just, she's just this cool cat laid back. Um, God bless her. The big flannel shirts, these like great clothing. And and a lot of the young ladies there, it's not quite the same. And there's a lot, you know, and and I I always want to be careful in these conversations because we don't want to, you know, start shaming people for choices and cultures that they've grown up in. And there's a lot of that we don't understand. And so we don't always know, but I know that the physicality of walking into a high school right now is, is something very unique because we haven't been together as much physically. And now they're experiencing this. And I'm, I guess my heart is connected to this because we're talking, you know, about your experience in high school and I'm seeing my daughter and I'm like, Wow. What what would you say? What would you say if I I will, I will say I'm, I'm blessed in a way because if this is my daughter's struggle, she's been hiding this from me because she just seems to be with her little, her her friends are just very unique, fun, very different. One of them's very nerdy. One of them's very preppy. And one of them is very goth. Those are her three main friends. They, none of them look like they should be friends with each other. I hope their parents aren't listening to this. They're probably laughing if they are. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the to the 16-year-old girl who just showed up for her first day of school and she's like, 
whoa, oh, oh, feeling overwhelmed, seeing everybody. What would you What would you say to her? Uh, I would say, don't worry about what everyone else is doing or what everyone else is thinking. Because one thing I learned throughout the time in high school was that becoming popular or getting on that road of becoming popular didn't change how I felt about who I was. And it didn't Mm. change um, how I thought others thought of me. And people who appear popular or appear in, you know, to have it all together, or they just lurk a certain way or whatever it is, they have their own struggles internally that they're facing or externally. And a lot of times that's why they are the way they are, right? Because they're they're trying to figure themselves out too. And if I would have known that um, going into high school, I probably would have owned who I was a little bit better because it didn't, and especially when you leave high school, it's a big, I mean, four years with all the same people and it's a big deal, right? And especially in a in my eyes, when I was going through it, I was like, this is my whole life. But it's not, it's just a blip. And um, how many people I still stay connected with in high school is minimal, really none. I mean, I here and there, I talk to people, but, and they don't see me as the person I was in high school either. And so it's just that we feel that identity. We want that identity so stinking bad but we don't have to have it the way the world has it. We can have it knowing, building the confidence in who we are in Christ. We can have it by um, going on kind of a God discovery journey, journey, right? Where um, the more we learn and seek him, the more we're going to understand who we are and who he made us to be. And then we can be confident in, um, you know, the way we want to dress in the way we want to look in all the things and know that the people who are your people, your tribe are going to like you for who you are. And mm. they are going to love you no matter what, because I was, I, you know, it's funny. Cause I tried the whole skater look. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I tried to be like, I, in college, I got to college. I'm thinking we're going to be wearing like um, softball pants and sweatshirts. And I went to Texas and girls were in high heels and skirts. And I'm like, seriously, So, you know, I tried all those things, but for me, what I just needed to know that I needed to be comfortable in what I was wearing and what I was doing. And that would be probably my main encouragement for a a freshman girl going into high school or anyone, any girl going in high school is just Mm. be, if you're not comfortable with what you're doing, there's, there's probably an issue there. Mm. So there's this moment, and and it may not be this iconic moment. For me, it's been growth over years. How did you begin to reconcile this idol? How did you begin to maybe say, hey, I'm seeing something here, and there may be more to this story than I've realized? How did this start to come to fruition for you um, in, in your journey, Gabe? So this might have to incorporate another one of the idols we're going to talk about, um, which is fitness, because as I was so entrenched in the idol of appearance and how I looked, I started to try and, um, you know, change my body, how I looked and all that based off of what I was eating and what I was doing for exercise. And that also had become an idol in my life. And so in college, like I was very sporty. I played every sport 
that I could um, in high school and in college, I did the same. I played intramurals, but I felt like I wasn't a part of a sports team anymore. So what am I going to do in order to be able to keep up this appearance and this image and what I, what I feel like I should look like. And, uh, that's when I kind of took on running and I took on running more as a form of a punishment. Like I thought of it as a form of punishment growing up. Um, I didn't really enjoy it, but it was like, okay, well, if I eat, then I'll run. And then, you know, and I kind of played, I, I, because of the idol of appearance, I did form an eating disorder and uh, exercise disorder, really, um, because if I ate too much, I exercised to make up for it. If I didn't exercise, I didn't eat. And it became a form, it controlled my life. It really did. And that's what idols do. At some point, they become an addiction or they become some form of control over you. Because what I thought I had was control over my um my, my body. Like I thought I controlled my eating and I controlled my exercise and I felt good about it, but really what it was, it was controlling me. So what actually happened is I really formed, I, I, I think, I believe this started in high school, but it really came to fruition in my junior year of college, uh, where I, I really couldn't focus anymore because I had formed this really deep depression over mm. it all. And, um, and that was the turning point for me was when I started having thoughts of, I don't want to live anymore. And wow. growing up Christian, I, well, I had a lot of guilt with that because I was like, who, why would anyone ever like take their own life? Why would anyone have these thoughts? It's just not right, you know, but they are so real and they have such a mm. hold on you. Right. Um, it's such a spiritual battle too, for a lot of people. And when I went through that, because I knew I was never going to do it, or I thought I never would, you know, but with those thoughts, like, man, they were taxing on me. And I realized that that's when I realized something was wrong and I needed to do something about it. But granted, I didn't really know what to do. Um, because I was kind of in deep in this and I, and you know, I think what we battle with, one, I love like how you're doing these struggle victory stories because what we battle with becomes our victory, but it doesn't mean we don't struggle with it throughout the rest of our life. Um, right. Come back. And I, if, if I'm going to struggle with something, it's going to be um, this idea of really the eating disorder wants to come back. Um, I had that struggle when I broke my ankle and I, the first thought I was, the first thought I had was how am I going to control my weight? because I can't do anything right now. You know, that was just three years ago. Hmm. But granted, I had learned the tools and I had learned how to overcome that. So I could put that in place when I was having these thoughts. So I just want, I, I just wanted to preface that, that it doesn't always mean it goes away when you, when you overcome it. It just means yeah. that you know how to deal with it when it comes. But, um, but yeah, I think that was the turning point. It was like, I had gotten so far down. I even got into the point of cutting myself because I just, couldn't I didn't know what was going on and I reached out to the mental health services I didn't know where to turn um I felt like I I was still had my faith um but I felt like God was so far away from me like why would you let me have these thoughts why would you I was just wrestling right trying hmm. to figure it out on my own um and feeling alone even though I was super popular in college like had tons of different friends from different places um, I'm just that person who's like, I want to be friends with everyone kind of a thing. And so um, I was involved in so many things. And from the outside, you have never known that I was struggling with what I was struggling with. Um, but those were my demons and I had to face them. So I reached out to the mental health services and that started me on 
the track to get healthy again and to overcome the idol. It's interesting the powerful effect, negative effect that this idol had on your life at such a, you know, those are our formative years in so many ways where we're starting, you know, to get our independence away from our parents and we're moving forward. We're developing relationships on our own, truly, that aren't initiated by, um, you know, the, the world that we grew up in. Now this is our world more and more, and you're hitting rock bottom, even though it's the outside world, people are looking at you and saying, she does all the fitness. She knows how to, to, to do great with her food. You know, she, she knows how to do this. And were, were there people close to you that knew what was going on or was it very, very private? No one knew until I let them in. And that didn't happen until I was getting help. Um, wow. There was one person that I remember, an acquaintance of mine. Um, we were sitting just on the benches watching uh, pick up basketball because that was my favorite thing to do in, in college was play basketball. And um, she had asked me, she goes, oh, what is that? What's that on your leg? And that's where I was kind of, I was cutting right above the knee. And I, I just said, oh, I just scraped myself. And that was the only question I ever had. And she left it at that. And, right. um, and so I just was really good at hiding it. And a lot of people are good at hiding their pain. And, mm. um, and that's one of the biggest things too. I feel like that's how it, the idol does get control of you because you hide it. Um, you know, if you think about addictions, what are people doing? Well, they're hiding. Most of the time it's, they can hide their addiction. And, um, and until it comes out into the open, uh, people don't really see it. They're like, oh, I would have never known. And that's what a lot of people, I mean, not very many people did know. Um, I had my, my college, a couple of my college roommates or really good friends knew once I was getting help. Um, I told my parents and really that was the only support system I had. Well, and my um, boyfriend's soon to be fiance at the time. And, um, but that was, that was really it. And so a lot of people just go at it alone and they try to, oh, I can overcome it myself or, or I'm not in too deep. It's not that big of a deal. And that's, we justify things. So if I was uh, Doc Brown from uh, um, Back to the Future and uh, we jumped in the time machine and you were able to go back, what would you say to yourself in, those mo in that moment where you thought everything was still going okay before you hit rock bottom? Oh, that, that's a good question. It's a little bit loaded. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> what I would really say to myself is you're not enough and that's okay. Now that comes mm. from, it's a title of a book I read from Ali Beth Stuckey. She's one of my favorite um, Christian conservative analysts and authors, but um, it's really about the fact that we strive so hard to be worthy and to be enough, but um, we aren't. We aren't really deserving. We aren't enough without Christ. And mm. that's why he came for us. He saved us from ourselves, really. And um, if we know that about ourselves, then we don't have to try to hit perfection, right? Instead, we can try, and this would be what I would tell myself is, seek excellence in everything you do. Don't seek perfection because you're not going to ever get there and you're going to stay frustrated and you'll probably remain stuck right where you are. Wow. So um, in order to move forward, we have to understand that, that we really aren't enough. All this self-love and self-care, now there is a, a reason for us to do things 
for ourselves to grow ourselves, right? But I think it's become this kind of toxic message for women out there that, um, well, if we just love ourselves enough, or if we just um, do every, uh, you know, all this self-care and we're focused so much in on ourselves, well, that's not what we were made to do. We were made to focus on others and to serve others. Now, in that, that means we still do help we do grow ourselves and we do give ourselves the time and rest that we need because Jesus did too. But when we realize that and we um, put that together, it really opens up a whole new world and, and opens up our minds to what, what are we really here for and what is our real true purpose? They can't write fast enough right now. I think people <laughs> listen because that was like, boom, home run. So I've, if you have what I would recommend, just hit the 15 or 30 seconds back thing and listen to the last two and a half minutes because that nailed it. So I'm still back at you. You are enough versus you are not enough. And I know that when I'm the most challenged during COVID, I was probably, I think it was actually this year. I was waking up for about three months. Unlike usually I'm like, Oh, it's morning. Well, it's five o'clock. I'm going to go do something. I feel great. And I've always woken up like that for years, super early, like, and, and just gone. And for about three months, I woke up with this dread I'd never experienced. What finally the light bulb went off one day and I, I was, I, I remember waking up saying, this has to end today. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want nothing. I, this has to end. And it was like this overwhelming feeling like I cannot wake up like this anymore. And what I realized was when I was waking up, I was thinking about myself and my day and what I had to deal with and what I had to do. And, and you would think at 49 years old, you'd sit there and you'd be like, oh, don't do that. Never once occurred to me that I was obsessing over myself in these moments and what I had to do instead of waking up and saying, hey, God, I, I can still breathe. I'm completely healthy, breathing. And there's a really good chance my wife and kids are going to wake up the same way. And this is a gift. So let's see what you got today. And, and I started to reframe my mind and it still went there like when I woke up, like you were talking about, the, the, the problem can remain. But it was this conscious knowing and accepting of it is simply not all about me. And I'm making myself too big of a deal in the early morning part of our day. So, so what was it like for you? You've, you, you're now in this process. You've gone through, through um, therapy on, on some level. Um, and I know, I know our listeners are always interested in hearing about people's like this like a cocoon butterfly come in. And, and of course, you know, the problems can remain, you know, I had PTSD after, even after I went through therapy for about a year and a half. So I was still dealing with some things from a traumatic situation. So what was it like this um, understanding and this enlightenment and what God was doing in your heart as you went through this process coming out of it? Um, it, it was, I'll tell you, it was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. I know a lot of people want instant gratification and they want things to change overnight, but it didn't happen. Uh, I struggled even with the idea of taking medicine because I was thought, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have to do that. Like God will mm -hmm. heal me. You know, all those those thoughts. But then I, I slowly realized that the reason that 
I mean, why would God invent doctors, right? Why would he give us the opportunity for these things? Well, it's because it'll help us along the way. Um, and so I went on that journey of seeking professional help, but at the same time, I went on a faith journey and really sought God and asked him my hard questions and wrestled with him and started, I actually just went into a bookstore one day and said, what book do you want me to get? And I was searching the shelves, searching the shelves, and I found one, it was called Lord Change My Attitude. Um, I think it was James McDowell who wrote it. And yeah. it was about the Israelites and um, their journey in the wilderness. And What a title. Yeah, it was, I mean, and it's funny because you would think that's not the book for me, you know, but for some reason I just was drawn to pick it up and yeah. it helped me. That's kind of how I got into the whole mindset um, arena anyway, is because it's really a renewing of our mind. Um, like it says in Romans and, um, and that's kind of what God did to me. He did a work in me and said, I'm going to change your mind. And I'm going to help you see things through the way that my lens, and I'm going to help you see you for who you are. And um, granted, like you said, I, we still struggle with those things. Um, but it, it was like, it, it was life-changing and not the book was life-changing, but just the journey of understanding that I was so engulfed in negative and um, my my little idol of appearance and what I wanted to, people to see me as and who I wanted to be um, of getting, ending up in a controlling of fitness and eating and just really having that idol control me and all of a sudden realizing that it was a mindset shift. I needed to change those negative thoughts, those negative feelings, everything that all I thought was negative. I, I was kind of in that complaining mode, like why me, why this, why all these things and questioning. And then um, how do I reframe that? Okay, well, how can I do something with this? Mm. Or, um, or, you know, or the whole, when you wake up in the morning, are you miserable that, oh man, it's another Monday? Or are you saying, praise God, I'm alive today? What do you want for me? And that was what I did, reframing my brain. And it took, I mean, I'm still doing it. <laughs> right. Honestly, it was probably, I would say, um, a good solid six month journey before I really started feeling like I was healing. And I was on medication, I believe for 18 months, but I did end up being able to come off of it because I had been reprogramming and, and really seeking God and like, and really working through it and getting to the root, because I think that's the other um, key is the root of the problem. Like when you have an idol, there's probably a root problem there. And my root problem was seeking um, acceptance of mm. others, right? And some people, their root problem might be um, status. It could be uh, many, many things. But in, if if we don't find that root, we're gonna we aren't gonna be able to really um, change and transform. You know what fascinates me is um, about seventeen things. But first of all, the the Romans twelve one and two. You know, it's, uh, the verse two: Do not conform any lo longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when I when you're telling your story and you brought up that verse, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, Gabe's had had some serious success. You know, you were people would look at you and say. The fitness was under control, and I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you had you were living a life that probably a lot of people around you, a lot of women around you were like, she's doing great. But inside, 
you were at war. It was like this war with yourself. It, when I look out on the world today, I actually heard this on a, a podcast yesterday. Somebody didn't quite say it, but they alluded to it. We've seen this rise in influencers over the past decade. Social media has broken out and these influencers and they're, they're perfect cooks. They're incredible cooks. They're, they're tables, their plates, this food that they put out in front of their families is like awesome. I'm sitting there with they're like, um, am I doing creamy or crunchy peanut butter? And I'm like ready to disown half the kids who do creamy. I never understood that. But um, I'm sitting over there like I've got paper plates. And this is this is because I ain't going to wash dishes for six kids. And, and I'll make them wash them anyway. But this rise in our culture of almost our obsessiveness with what these people can do and what they seem to be doing, this life that they seem to be living on the outside. And one of the things I heard on this podcast yesterday that blew my mind was all of these people in so many ways because of COVID have been exposed. They've been about looking a certain way, but they're actually not really helping anyone. And now the people that are trying to honestly help their communities and help other people and are in it to serve others, they're the ones that people are talking about. And I, I even heard about this guy, Chad Wright, yesterday, and he's incredible. He's such an inspiring man. And people have started to like watch him and follow him. He's a follower of Jesus. But for some reason, all of these people who aren't keep requesting him to be on their podcast, huge podcasts. Um, and cool. he loves the Lord with all of his heart. But he's an ultra runner. He, um, I think he just won some 100-mile race or something crazy. He's like, I climbed 36,000 feet up and 36,000 feet down. And his heart is so much about helping people in his community. So it's interesting. I wonder if you might have some feedback for us, some thoughts for us on these influencers who've appeared this, this certain way. And people have idolized them. They've looked up to their life. They've wanted to be so much like them. And, and, and you probably had friends who wanted to be like you. And, and so what do you think is happening right now from your perspective in our culture with this? I think it comes really with the form of um, social media, being able to just kind of share the highlight reel of your life and not mm. have to share anything negative. And so when people are scrolling and looking at all these influencers, all they see is the good and they see how great their life is. And, and, you know, the influencers will talk about, Hey, you can have my life too, but then they don't really um, get down on their knees and help others to really see what it, and, and honestly, I think it's, it is a falsity in a way because they have their own struggles they have their own problems. They might have, you know, marriage issues. They might have kids who aren't listening to them, but the only pictures they're going to take and show are the ones of the kids all dressed nice and proper and they don't have anything smudged on their face. And, you know, if I could get one picture like that, that'd be great, <laughs> you know, but, um, and I feel, I, I tended to do that for a while too, where I was like, I just want to show the highlight reel. And granted, I mean, no one really wants to see your negative. They don't want to see your skeletons in your closet or your junk on social media, which is probably why this, it's, it's like an epidemic. That's why this is happening. And um, 
you know, one thing when I was struggling with what I was, thank goodness there was no social media. I didn't mm. have mean girls saying not nasty comments about my picture that I posted or um, have have to look, look at all that and have that comparison because the comparison game is a really real struggle for both men and women. Um, you know, we compare what size house we have. We compare, oh man, I wish I were as pretty as that woman. I wish I were this or I wish I were that. I wish I could have my kids under control. Or maybe it's like, I wish I could homeschool my kids like they do and have a perfect day. I wish I could, you know, because everything that, whatever you do, for you, it's not good enough. You're looking at others Mm. and comparing and going, I wish I had that. And when is that enough, right? When is that enough? Because we forget that the bigger you are, the more success you have, the more problems you probably are going to deal with too. Um, And then are you going to be okay with the critics that come because the critics are going to come? So anyway, I just, I really think that social media has played such a huge role, especially like, I just feel for our young ones, our kids, especially women, our little young girls, because um, there is now really oh there is the thing that you're supposed to be the what you're supposed to look like what you're supposed to do how you're supposed to act and if you aren't that then you are not fitting the mold and you are not going to fit in or be normal normalized or whatnot so um I think us realizing and knowing that that is a highlight reel and um they show their best and we compare it to our worst. And that's the worst thing we can do, right? Um, But also to think about, this is my question I would pose is, what do you like seeing on social media? Like, do you really like seeing the influencers who have no problems? Or do you like seeing an influencer who's like, look at my house today. I can't, I'm not, I can't get it together. Like, I just don't, you know, I actually really prefer seeing the real I like, I don't want to see people complaining, but I want to see the real life. This is what happens. And so I can relate to it and go, oh my goodness, I am so there right now. And I'm glad I'm not alone because I feel like when we're searching and seeing the highlight reels, we feel so alone. And that's probably why mental health has been rising so much too, um, especially in our young ones. I have such a passion for that because I struggled with it when I was young and I just, there's so many more mediums that, um, that they young ones see and have to handle than we did growing up. Yeah, there, there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices coming at our kids. That's been one of the things that I, I've, I just had a conversation again this morning with a friend of mine about these voices and the importance of understanding the, how so many different people are uh, trying to establish the identity of our children for them. They're telling them they're this, they're telling them this is the truth. This is who you are. And I come back to Psalm 139, you know, and that one of the things that I think helps me with that verse is that I try to use it to look at other people and get my mind off myself. There's there's no good for Thad Riley thinking about Thad Riley at much of any point, except what the Lord needs to do to, to fix some of my junk. But when I see this passage, I try to reflect it out on others and say, this is who they are to God. Like when one of my stepsons is lost his ever loving mind. And I'm like, I, I can't deal. I can't. She's at work. So it's just me. And I can't deal with this kid in this. Ever, this moment is gone. And I'm so frustrated. 
and, and then I, I have to sit there and think, his identity right now is that I'm frustrated with him. He can read my body language. He can hear my words. And I, I talk to my wife about this all the time, how I have to continue to transform myself in these moments by God's grace. He opens up my eyes to it. You know, one, one of them honestly told me, he said, you just don't want me here, do you? Mm. And I thought to myself, I wish you were at your dad's. And I thought that would be the worst place I could ever be if I was him. And I stood up and I looked at him and I said, not a chance. I don't want me to be here right now because I don't deserve to be. And, and we worked through it. And, and I told Melanie, that was like my enlightening parenting moment of 2020 to 2021 was I have to look at my stepsons and, and my kids that they are always wanted in the room that I'm in. And that seems small. That seems like it's, it's not a big thing, but it has to do with my phone. It has to do with what the plans my wife and I have. The 11-year-old has started to watch TV with us, Gabe, at night. That was our wind-down time. We'd watch a show, and now the 11-year-old wants to come down, and he's wild. And I'm like, we're eating popcorn, and we're just chilling, and now we're still eating popcorn, but we ain't chilling. And it's like, at what point does an 11-year-old ever need to feel like he's not wanted in the room? The same point where I don't ever want to feel like that God doesn't want me in the room. And he always wants me in the room. So what do we do with that? Parenting is hard. I don't mean to go off in Neverland, but parenting is hard. It is so hard. You know, I actually, because I feel the same. I, sometimes I am so wrapped up in me and I forget, oh wait, I'm raising these little men, these, these guys or kids to be men of God, right? That's what my big ultimate goal is. I want to draw out their giftings. I want them to understand who they are so that understand what purpose they have and know that God truly loves them. But um, when I act selfishly and I, when I act the way I do many times and then so essentially hurt them, hurt their feelings, hurt, you know, and I say, oh, I did it wrong again. I made another mistake, right? And and I actually had a conversation with one of my my middle son who was struggling. And I the things that he was saying was heartbreaking because he was talking about how he's such a failure and mm. he's not as good at whatever it is, you know, as his as friends are. And um he just you could tell like oh, I was tearing up, just crying out for him because I could tell that he was having those feelings of I'm not adequate enough. I'm not enough. And mm. why can't I be as good as this other person and having that comparison? Granted, we had a really great conversation, but it helped remind me that everything that I do is a reflection to him of who God is too. And so I have to be willing to take that moment and set aside my phone or my work or whatever it is I'm doing to care for him because he's what matters. This life doesn't, everything of this life is fleeting, but he matters and he mm -hmm. matters to God. And when I see that, like as a parent, one thing that I've learned, cause I, I even told my mom the other day, I go, I don't know how you put up with us because my kids are doing to me what I used to do to her. Right. And I'm going, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. But I think about that in, I love my kids so much that I would do anything for them. 
And then I reframe that and go, how does God feel about me when I am his child? How much more does he love me than I can imagine? Or how much more does he love my kids than I even love my kids, you know? And it helps remind me that, um, that it's not, it really isn't about us. It's really about doing his work and pleasing him. And uh, I feel like this culture, it's all about this culture. Like if you don't fit in, in this culture, um, you could, you could get canceled or you could all the things right in the day that we're seeing. And um, God doesn't want us to be of this world. He wants us to live godly in an ungodly world. And what does that look like? And how do you train your kids to do that? <laughs> so right. The, yeah, the, the training them part is hard. For me, sometimes it's like, how is a 14 year old boy processing this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm over here. I'm almost 50. And he's over here and he's 14. And right now, maybe I should just back off a little <laughs> just because I have no clue. I was a 14 year old boy, but I have no clue sometimes. And that's where the Lord just helps us in, in so many ways. What, one of the things that you said really left me with this question, you and I understand, and I, hopefully most of our listeners do, the power of Jesus in our hearts, the power of God in our lives, and the forming of our identity in him. Why do you think, as a follower of Jesus, idols are such a difficult thing to overcome? How, how is it they can get a, such a hold of us? Uh, that is a really good question. And really, I think it just comes down to the fact that we come from a sinful nature. Like, hmm. we just because we have Christ doesn't mean we aren't going to struggle. Like, he did say that the struggles of this world, we would have them. And, but not to despair because he has overcome the world. But it doesn't mean that when we're in it, we're not going to have the same struggles that non-Christians face. Um, We just know where they come from. (laughs) And, and um, so it's, it's tricky to really think about it that way and to understand why we have such temptation. But a lot of times too, when we're, doing the work of God, when we feel like we're finding our purpose and um, we are wanting to serve others, I feel like that's when a lot of the struggles do come. And it's a matter of what are we going to do with it? Are we going to give into it? And if we give into it, like a temptation, um, it's easier to keep giving in. And um, and that's it. the devil's stronghold on us. And that's that's how he tries to fight us being able to walk the way God wants us to walk. Um, and so like for me, when it was when it came to appearance or exercise, I didn't think there was anything wrong with what I was doing in the beginning. Um, it's almost like um, you go to a party and you see people drinking and you're like, oh, well, one drink won't hurt me, right? And then that's when it can start spiraling. And that's what happens with every little temptation that we have. Um, and it just, you want, and I think as soon as we start, we feel like, oh, the world's accepting us. Like it's, it feels a lot better to be normal in quotation marks. It feels better to feel comfortable because um, living the Christian life isn't comfortable uh, because it is different. So I don't know if that answered the question. No, no, you're. What you're saying is huge. And and I was just in a conversation about this the other day. We live in a 
a very easy world for the majority of us. Uh, I didn't really think about food much this morning. If we need something, I got to go to the store. I know in two days and pick up whatever I want and I'll be able to pay for it. Got a house. I got a bed. I got, I can watch. I, I think I'm at four streaming services right now, but they're cheap. So it's not too bad, but we have so much access to so much. And I think it, it's made us lazy, apathetic towards real change, towards the stuff of the heart. And it seems to really, for me right now, I, I'm saying to the Lord, what do you want us to do with all of this stuff that we have versus the life that we should be living? And I've got, I've seen my friends, you know, one day uh, my friends are like, well, I know we were normal folks. We're going to go be missionaries in Nicaragua. We'll see y'all soon. So for like seven years, they went down there and had a kid's camp. And I'm just sitting there like, did he run a rent-a-center? What is he doing down there with all their kids in Nicaragua? They hadn't even been there, and they showed up with everything. They didn't visit. They just showed up with everything. And they went and they served the Lord for almost a decade. And it's wild how people will have these moments where they decide not to be comfortable in our society. It's almost like this this coming of age. And I think the ropes are like these chains are around our kids of just this fitting in of not making waves. That's one thing my daughter Summer talks about is not making too many waves. She likes to kind of be, and I I think she is kind of an easy personality, but she likes to kind of hang in the background a little bit and not make waves. And I'm not asking her to ever be somebody God, you know, didn't create her to be. But I think it's interesting how the culture is going this way and they want our kids to go this way. But if they step out, it's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge deal. Did you feel that at all in, in your battles with appearance, in your battles with fitness? Did you feel that like the cult, was there a cultural pull that affected you? There was because what I saw was everyone else looking the certain way or being the certain way. And I struggled to want that. And then, and it was almost like you have the the devil and the angel on your shoulder and the devil's telling you it's going to be, this is, this is what you want. Like you want to be a part of this. And the angel's saying, hold back, you know, do what's right. And, and I did struggle with it because I said, well, what if I do what's right, I stand out in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then what are, what are they going to think of me? And, and again, it's the whole, what are they going to think of me? Which is a really a selfish thought. And instead I should have been thinking, I want them to see God through me. And granted, I, I wasn't thinking like that back then, right. but, but now I look back and go, what a much powerful statement that would be. How can I allow them to see God through me? Does that mean I'm going with the waves? Am I staying with the waves? Or does that mean I do have to step out and I have to do what I believe is right because that's how they're going to see God through me. And it is, it is touchy because we're in a culture where if you don't say um, certain things, if you don't believe certain things or um, go with the narrative, then you are not loving and you are not Christ-like and you're not this. Even Christians do that to each other. They pin each other together where it's like, well, 
you have to really think about what is that narrative and what are what are the meanings of the words they're using and is that actually what Christ was here for and say I'm not going to go with the narrative but it doesn't mean I don't love you I'm not going to go with the narrative but it doesn't mean I don't believe in justice I'm not going with the narrative but it doesn't mean that I don't want more for the poor right and so it but you're going to stand out and people are not going to like you and I think for kids this is hard because this isn't a battle they should have to fight right now they're learning who they are. They should be fighting a battle of who they are and finding their identity in Christ and really um, learning how to think well, how to seek truth, how to discern what's right and what's wrong. That's what they should have to deal with. But now we threw them into a fight that they have to do and they don't even have um, the, you know, their brain isn't even developed enough to be able to do that. And that's what makes me mad about the culture that we live in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're adults. How long did it take us to figure some of this stuff out? And we're still figuring it, some of this stuff out. And we hear one thing, and this is totally the truth. I always go back to that guy. What was his name? Uh, was it Richard Rudolph? He was a guy. I may have the wrong name. He, they said he was the person who did the 1996 Atlanta, Atlanta Olympics bombing. And okay. there was a, they did a story on his life. And he was, um, after all this went down, the media convicted him. Everybody said this was the case. You look at this guy and, you you, you know, somebody said something like oh, he lives in his mom's basement or something like that. Everybody makes fun of him. Everybody thinks he's horrible. It actually turned out when the actual events came out, he was actually a hero saving people. Mm. And he never, no one ever really went out of their way to correct the story and to go to bat for him. And this was this entire culture that had just enveloped him and his life. And what people don't know was he spent the last four years of his life before he passed away going into schools telling his story and telling kids not to assume what you've just seen is truth. That's so and good. He didn't get media. He just kept contacting in local schools, I think down in Georgia. And he kept going in and this is what he was doing. This is a man who had his reputation ruined in the entire country. He was the lead story on everything and it simply wasn't the truth but everybody we all thought it was we were told this was good this was right and it wasn't and, and what you said about discernment what what helps you discern things well you you are the mindset person what helps you to discern things so your mindset can be like on track in a positive way the main thing is being in the word of god Right. Um, that is, if you're a Christian, that's where you stand. You stand on God's authority in the word and you believe that the word is his words. Um, so when I'm in there or if I see something or hear something, I go, I try and take a step back and go, okay, so that's what's being said. What is the other side or, or does it line up biblically? Can I find it in the Bible? Because one thing to note is that nothing is new under the sun. So if you're hearing, especially with pastors, like if you're hearing a pastor talk about something very new, 
that no one's ever heard. Like it sounds very revelational. You better be going in the word and finding it in there because if it's not in there, it's not of God. And that is one of the biggest ways to discern um, is what the world's saying is what the narrative that they're speaking. Is that in the word? Because there isn't anything new. And so, and yes, sometimes there's, it's hard to discern it because you're trying to understand what the word is even saying, but that's when we just get alone and we get into that prayer and, and we just seek God. We are in a world that doesn't like to wait and we don't like to trust. Um, we want everything right now and probably yesterday, and we're not willing to just sit on it for a minute. And I think that's where a lot of the issues come, especially on social media. That is not the place to fight. That is not the place to try and have your social whatever you're trying to do. Because um, as soon as someone says something against what you say or different than what you say, it's like they don't take a minute to step back and go, I'm going to put myself in their shoes and see where they're coming from. Now, does that mean that it what they said is right? Maybe not. But we just attack. It's all about yeah. attacking instead of being on the defense and offense, like you need both. And that comes with the word of God. I mean, the word is our sword, right? Mm. So good. I, I remember one of the beautiful things about Jesus was his relationships with the Pharisees. Because on one hand, we've got Matthew 23, which is like Jesus brings out a baseball bat and says things like, you know, the outside of the cup is clean and beautiful, but the inside of the cup is gross and it's dirty. And yet he has this special relationship and there's a special love for him with Nicodemus and with um, 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 Joseph of Arimathea, who together come to wrap Jesus's body because they love him so much and they want to be there, yet they're Pharisees. And that's what a lot of people don't understand was he had his oppressors, the people who opposed him, but he looked at some of them and some of them, it was a completely different relationship because of who he was and what he became to them. It was never this, we see these personal attacks, drive, 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 no relationship built. And, and Jesus is there. And obviously these men loved him deeply enough to, to, you know, for Joseph to buy the tomb, to get the body, to wrap it, to do all these different, all these different, I remember I wrote something about it. I did a bunch of research and I can't remember anything, but um, it was a very humble act, a very um, loving, very um, intimate act to the way they wrapped Jesus' body and to, to do all this. And there were Pharisees. And so the way Jesus works with people who opposed him was, was very unique. All right, I want to turn the conversation back to something, though, because the last thing we were going to talk about with idols is one of those topics that is incredibly important. I think it's important for men. I think it's probably super important for women. Um, everybody's got their struggles, though. So I want to talk a little bit. I want you to share with us some of your thoughts about the idol of control. The idol of control is huge and you wouldn't think of it as an idol. Again, it's not, it's not a physical thing, right? It's just um, something. And when I went through the, my eating disorder and the exercise, that was an idol of control. 
and it can happen in many different instances. But really what that comes down to is that we are not taking the time to wait, like we talked about, and we're not trusting in God's plan and God's timing. And so one of the things that I did, um, one of my issues with control was if we went behind financially, we've, I would say the financial has always been our, if we were, if we're going to have a marital struggle, it was always financial. Um, I would say that's probably a big thing for a lot of, a lot of marriages. But what I did, if my husband lost a job, he's lost quite a few through our time. Um, nothing to do with him. It was just restructuring on all the things that go along with that. Um, I would say, all right, I'll just pick up another thing. And so for a time there, I, I was controlling it and saying, well, if, if this happens, I, I just, I just have to do this. And so I was working, um, more than full time at a restaurant, um, working my way into management. And then I was also working overnight at a fitness center and working, I slept a few hours. I was still homeschooling. Of course, my my littles were they were young at the time, so we didn't have to do a whole lot. Um, but then the other the other aspect of that is that anything that oh, there's a there's a position that you could do. Um, there's a role you could fill. Can you do that for me? One, um, the whole what will others think or people pleaser came out, and I said yes without thinking, without stopping and saying, what's this going to do for our family? But I liked having my hands in everything because I liked having the control, a mm. form of it. So I was doing so many things and guess who suffered? It wasn't really me. I mean, I did suffer mentally. Um, it was my family. And I put them on the back burner to do all these things because I wanted to please everyone else. And I felt like I, I would be good at it. So why not do it? And um, really when I broke my ankle three years ago was when God pretty much said, stop. And he put me on this place of learning simplicity and understanding what that means for our life. And he said, you are not doing what I want you to do. Mm. You are trying so hard to take control of your life and to have it be a perfect plan, but that's not my perfect plan for you. Mm. And, um, so, and I literally had to stop everything because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even drive because it was my right foot. So I wasn't allowed to. And, um, and so I did start coming out of these roles and the thing that he pretty much said to me, um, which I wish would be vocal. It would be easier if he talked vocally, but, um, he, <laughs> he said, just because you'd be good at it, doesn't mean you have to do it. And you doing it means that you're taking away the blessing of somebody else doing it, who could be mm. just as good or better, right? And when you put yourself into all these different roles, you're no longer good to anyone. It's better to be in one or two and do it really well than to be strung thin and to, and to be just hanging on by a thread. And that's what I had to learn. And I, it is the idol of control because um, once you get into it and you start having this little power, <laughs> maybe that's what the problem is in government, but you get this little power and you seek mm -hmm. more and you just want more. You just want to be the one to be able to make these decisions and, and to have a say. And, and that is, um, you know, and I would say busyness was a form of busyness was an idol for me, but it came in the form of control because I wanted to control everything around me. Yeah, that's, that is so good. I, <sighs> Matt Chandler one time, um, I heard a message from him years ago, and he said, um, he was, I think he was talking, I can't remember where it was, I think it was a conference, and he, he said, um, 
manipulation and control from women can often be aligned with men and lust. Because we talk a lot about pornography today, the effects on men and, and, and women too, of course, and on our culture today, the huge, but, but men, this is not a new problem. And women, of course, it's not a new problem. But he lined it up that high for me. And I was sitting there thinking, that's nuts. Why is he saying this? And then I started looking at my own life and looking at people's lives around me. And it opened my mind that control and manipulation, and, and it, sometimes it's, it's of others to get what we want. And sometimes it's of situations or our own life. Um, and so it's, it's a very interesting idea. I don't know if you can speak into that at all, but I'd love yeah. to hear some thoughts. I, I could see it as a kind of a manipulation because it is, you want people, it, it, it's almost like when you have that issue with control, you're almost playing puppeteer because you want people to do what you want them to do mm. because it's going to help you. Um, again, it was almost selfish motives that I was doing that. I thought I had to, like what the lie was that I had to do it. Like I had to get all these jobs and I had to do fill all these roles because no one else was going to do it and no one else was going to take care of me, which, yeah, we take care of ourselves, right? And there's self-personal responsibility in there but there's to a point. And, um, and so you do become kind of a professional manipulator in a way. I would say I manipulated our marriage in many ways because of it, because I wanted to have the control in the marriage too. And so I didn't want my husband meeting. I wanted to be the one who was doing it because I'm so good at it. I have so many leadership skills. I'm involved in so many things. Why can't I be the one in charge? Right. And so, um, it does it you start thinking about okay how can i get someone to do what i want them to do or how can mm. i manipulate my way into this or um so i i would say i probably didn't struggle too much with that but looking back i can see how i could have used it as a manipulation tool because i did have my hand in a lot of different things yeah i think when when I went through a, my my divorce in 2013, and a lot of things were just completely suddenly out of my control, and I was so confused. And I think a lot of people, you know, not not just about not not about me in this situation, but if we stop and we look at those moments in our life where something devastating or traumatic happened, and we're just like everything goes out of control, I think the response were like, what can we control at least right now? versus the the big question with control and maybe the biggest question with idols sometimes is do i trust god do i trust god in this moment and i know for me i was in a situation where i'm like oh, i can't actually do anything there's nothing i can physically do there's nothing i can do i've got a court date in six weeks i can't do anything to help my situation there's nothing legal I can do. I can't spend any money. I can't call anybody. I can't tell anybody a different story. Everything is taken out of my hands right now in this moment. It, it was my broken foot moment. Was it a foot or an ankle? It was my ankle. Ankle. Okay. I thought it was ankle. Okay. So um, that was my broken ankle moment. And it's not like when you're driving this car, you can make it, come on, let me drive. It'll be okay. You can't instantly heal this thing. And P Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh and how it 
it, it, it made him who he was in a way that, that it, that it was there for a purpose. I believe he said that I don't want to misquote the scripture, but I believe there was in that passage, he talks about this, you gave me this thorn in the flesh and it's, it's made him humble. It's, it's brought him closer to, to Jesus. And I think, I think for me, I know in those moments when I have come to this realization where I'm trying, I might be trying to control or manipulate something, or it might be out of control. It's that trust God question. Gabe, on your journey, how has, how have you learned to trust God? What's the, what's kind of your story with, with when you can give things over to him with, I mean, obviously you're a gifted person. You, you're a person who's got mindset in a way that, that I'll just be honest. With you. I don't, I don't. And so, cause I'm a little all over the place and I think a lot of us are right. And so how have you learned to trust God in light of the gifts and talents that he's given you and the skills you've developed over your life. I learned to trust him because every time that I try and take the wheel, um, it doesn't work. And um, it's funny because I feel like, oh, things are going so well. I'm trusting God. And then something happens in our life. And I have to make a decision. Am I going to trust him? And or am I going to handle it on my own, go back to that control? And how do I trust him? Because it's so hard, especially when you're a go-getter and you're an achiever like myself, or if you're a type A person, um, you know, you just want to get things done. And so the waiting and the trusting is so hard because it means that you can't just take it into your own hands. And I would say, so this past year, was a huge defining moment for myself in trusting God. And um, so my my word for 2021 <laughs> was trust. Wow. Uh, don't ever make a word that you don't want to be tested in, right? Um, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. But it has been a path because as soon as we moved here last year in May, my husband lost his job two weeks later. And we were like, oh my goodness, was this the right decision? Granted, everything that we did to make that move was God ordained. None of it was us. Even where we live right now, currently, um, we were blessed by my mom's cousin who said, we have an extra townhouse. Why don't you just live there until you figure it out? And we're, we're living rent-free at the moment. Now, um, we just bought a house yesterday. Woohoo! So we'll yes. be moving soon. But um, without that, we would have never survived because hmm. he lost his job. And again, like I said, he loses his job. <laughs> He's done it a few times throughout our marriage. And that's always been like my biggest struggle is I'm like, I can't control that. And he can't really control it either because it hasn't been him. It's because we moved and, um, and trusting God was so hard. And it was some, and dates, there are days where it's good and days where it's not. So the biggest thing for me is getting in the word right away in the morning. Now, for some people, it might be getting in the word at night, getting in the word at lunch, wherever you can. But I needed to make sure I was there with him. And it didn't mean I didn't yell at him sometimes. I just, mm. I do. It's okay. People think that um, you have to be positive all the time. No, you don't. The neg you are going to have those feelings and your feelings were given to you by God for a reason. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to stay in them, but you can use them and you can wrestle with God. So I was yelling at him. I was like, why the heck are we going through this again? Right? Why is this going on? And what he taught me is when I do sit back and I do trust, I grow and he grows me into the person to do the next thing that I need to do. And, um, it was, 
so through that, I mean, there was a lot of other things that went on in our move in this last year, but that's the biggest one. And he, so we had, you know, we had unemployment for a while, so we were making ends meet, but come January, we didn't have that unemployment anymore. And um, so we had to figure things out and he didn't get, he got a job in June. And so it was literally a year from when he lost his job. We went a full year. Wow. Um, trying to figure it out. But and the whole time, I, the, what I did was I looked back and I said, I know this is you. I know you wanted us here. You wanted us in Colorado. Mm. So I'm going to remain in that. When it was hard to trust, when it's hard to do that, I just have to go back and go, I know I'm where you want me to be. Mm. So what can I do next? You know, and And I was in that waiting period when you take your hands off the wheel, that doesn't mean not being in motion. Like God can't work with you if you're not in motion. You have to be willing to take action and to be out there. Um, so waiting doesn't mean you just sit back and go, okay, God, when you when you have that job for me, we'll just wait. We're not going to apply. We're not going to do those things, right? Yeah. That's not it. If you're not at the drive-thru making an order to God. It's like, yeah. who are you and who am I? Yeah. And you know what? In all of it, and every time I've had a struggle of having to trust, and I look back mm. and go, he met every single need that we had. Mm. Never went behind. Um, we we had some fears and anxieties that are going to come, but he has always taken care of us. Just like the verse says, he if he clothes the lilies of the field and he feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you? And if we can just focus on that and meditate on that. Um, and, and here's another little tip. I wrote in my journal and I write my prayers in my journal. That's how I connect with God. Mm. But I wrote my good and the bad and the ugly and the things that I wanted to say and everything going on in my mind because it was therapeutic for me because I mm. could get it out. And then once it's out, I can say, okay, now how do I trust you? Yeah. And and I stand on a verse. and and. That always helps too, is when you're feeling that anxiety come up, you stand on that verse. And the verse I love is Psalm, I, I don't know if I'm going to get it right. I always forget where it is. Psalm 14, no, 20, I don't know. Um, but it's, I trust you, oh God, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And that's where I go usually when I have, when I have those moments of waiting. Mm. That is so good. Holy cow. All right, so I want to I want to ask you about COVID, the idol of COVID, and um, you mentioned this a little bit to me, and it, it, my brain just was like on fire, on fire over this this thing, this idea that the pandemic or COVID or any of this could be an idol. Um, sh share with us a little bit some of your thoughts and experiences with this. So it's interesting to me because this past year has been filled with fear and anxiety. And the reason that COVID is an idol for a lot of people, it was for me for a long time, is because, again, what is an idol? It's anything that takes the place of God. And when we're fearful and anxious and we think, oh my goodness, this is going to be the end of me. Or, um, you know, you're so fixated on what the news is saying. So here's another thing. Um, idols can be in government. It can be in the news. Like, where um, are you so 
fixated on what that the government says to do and you're like that's my expert I'm or even doctors like that's my expert I'm gonna go with the expert I'm gonna I'm just gonna do that without thinking about it um but we can idolize our president we can idolize um those in leadership and then we fixate on whatever is going on instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus and mm-hmm. um and you know there's the whole oh, you need to be masking. Oh, we shouldn't be masking. Oh, well, you need to be vaccinated. You shouldn't be vaccinated. And we're so, and, and the enemy loves it. It's his playground. Um, he's, uh. he's causing division and confusion. And he's like, yes, they're fixating on this one thing. And I hardly even had to do anything. I just had to put it into play because they're all right there in the confusion. And um, so if we're fixated on that and that's, and that's consuming our mind, like the anxiety of, what's going to happen next or the uh, even the unknown because in 2020 we learned that um nothing is known and and things can change in an instant right right so but if we're fixating on that that is an idol in our life Mm. that is so good y'all y'all need to just take your moments now you can hit pause and and think about that and what in the last year during this this pandemic has become an idol with covid for you in your life i know that um yeah, when I was when you when you mentioned that, I was thinking, um, and you we'd also mentioned a, you mentioned a little bit about conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. That was so an idol for me. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you, I love them. I love them all. Uh, Bigfoot is still my favorite. Nobody talks about the Bigfoot conspiracy anymore. But if there was any of them that was going to come true, that might be one of them. Be like, hey, I got a whole family of them too, and they show up in Seattle or something one day, like Harry and the Hendersons. But no, I'm serious. I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of people who claim they don't necessarily say they are a prophetic voice, but they act like they are. And they're telling us things that are going to happen in two years, things that are going to happen in four years, things that are about to happen. And so many followers of Jesus who were, um, you know, a little bit dismayed and shocked by this last election and probably we're hearing a lot of stories well in march the um national guard is going to assume control and all these things were supposed to happen in march i don't know if you caught wind of some of this and it's funny because um i got permission from uh uh, he's now a former um uh, brigadier general he's a friend and uh um, his wife used to work at our church and I ate her pizza one day for lunch. And that, that was a whole other story. And she, she never lets me live it down. We have so much fun with it. And, and she's a sweetheart and her husband, um, I messaged her and I said, Hey, can you talk, can you talk to the general for me about this? Cause I just want to know, is this really going to happen? He messaged me back. He's like, absolutely not. Would I know? Yes. I would actually be one of the people who would be in Washington in the middle of the whole stinking thing. And no, it's never going to happen. This is not happening. There's no group of people who are going to take over our government suddenly and do this and that. But I remember my friends, there were, there were so many, their hearts, their emotion, everything was so bent on this moment. And people would tell me, they, I would just say, we don't know the whole story. And it doesn't sound necessarily plausible. There's pause. And it's not even about disappointment. It's about this energy that people will put into this to this extent where they're so distracted by it. They're so consumed. They're watching some of these videos are three hours long. Oh people, yeah. People send it. I'm like, 
I can't do this. Do you have like a, 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 a you know, like a quarter page outline, a couple quotes? And so I think watching this, especially in, in the, with followers of Jesus, you know, it dismays me a little bit as there's so many opportunities right now to present ourselves as different than the rest of the world in, in, a, in a positive way because of Jesus and to proclaim the good news of him. And what the scriptures say to encourage us, to give us hope and what God may be doing through all of this that we just don't see yet. But this path of conspiracy theories, some of them have really sunk its teeth in and, and really been a distraction. I, I would love some of your thoughts on it, maybe. Yeah, I would agree. I went down that rabbit hole and I watched hours and hours of all these things. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And it wasn't until I go, wow, when was I in the word last? When was I, I mean, I, did I eat today? <laughs> you know, that I was like, wow, this might not be good for me. But I, what happens, and honestly, um, the news media, I always say the best thing to do is turn off the news. I come from a broadcast background. Like, I love broadcast journalism. Yeah. Turn off the news, it's no good for you. Um, it's a conspiracy in itself, right? Um, but when you put your hope in man, you have raised an idol. So in uh, even talking about the 2020 election, people were, you know, they were prophesying and doing all these things and, and, um, and saying Trump is the savior or whatever, you know, the things that was happening, people were putting their hope in that and putting their hope in man and they were not putting their hope in Christ. And you wonder why what happened happened. Right. <laughs> because if we turn from him and we seek the culture, he will not come right? Mm. He says, turn and seek my face and I will come restore your nation. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we're doing right now. We are seeking, I mean, the vaccine is an idol. Masks are an idol. I mean, mm. you're putting your hope in a mask. You're putting your hope in a vaccine. You are not putting your hope in Jesus Christ. Where mm. is your hope found? And I'm not, I, you know, I, I could care less if someone wears a mask or get a vaccine. Like, that's not the point. The right. point is that they are putting these things in play and making us fixate on them instead of us really knowing truly where our hope comes from. And as Christians, that should be the first thing that we're sharing with people is the hope because mm -hmm. the people are in so much fear. And if they do not have hope, they don't have anything right now. Right. Hope, 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 and more hope. And wow, what a word for, um, for our culture today in the hope that they can find in Jesus. I, I have to say, as you're talking, I'm thinking, is this why Jesus liked to be around little kids? <laughs> like, cause they ain't going to bring me all their, all their junk and baggage. They're going to be like, Oh, it's him. And they'll be like, Oh, it's you. And it's like this whole, like good, this goodness of Jesus. And I think the older we get, you know, I think this is why, why, why God's like, Oh man, Methuselah, 969 years old. They're living too long. We're, we're going to make an, a major adjustment. Because this this cynicism, the the difficulties, our brains conspire into all this stuff, and, and this childlike faith, this childlike renewed hope, this this beauty of um, of all of knowing God, the goodness of knowing God, and how that does a work in our heart, even in the darkest, even in the most difficult times. And you hear these stories, and and people like like you, Gabe, who've written out journals or famous hymns like it is well with my soul and, and people who've gone through great dire tragedies and they've written some of the most beautiful things in, in the entire world that the world's ever seen 
And it's all about the hope that they have, even though they're in the darkness, even though they're experiencing something so deeply traumatic. Any closing thoughts for us? You know, I would love to leave us with just some encouragement that that what's happening right now in our world, it's not new. It's just new to us. Mm. So God is in control. And if we give up our control, especially of any idols that we have or addictions that we have, he will meet us. And, um, and, And if you are struggling with an idol, make sure you reach out for help. Find somebody you trust and reach out to them, whether it's a pastor, a family member, a close friend, but don't do it alone because if you do it alone, it's a lot harder to get out of it and it's a lot harder to um, allow God to work through you. Mm. God is bigger than your shame of that idol and what you're dealing with. So good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Before we go, though, make sure you follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform if you haven't already. If you resonate with this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as it's one of the biggest compliments you could give me. If you have any friends or family whom you think would enjoy this podcast, be sure to share it with them. Also, if you're not a part of our free Simplicity and Motherhood online community, consider joining us. It's a community built to provide support, mindset, and encouragement as you develop your giftings, live intentionally, and go after your biggest goals, God's way. Head on over to redhotmindset.com for more resources and to find the link to join the community. I hope you step into the fire with me each and every episode because I know you will come out stronger. In all things I pray, you just run your race. I believe in you.